Well, as one of the pastors here, an aspect of my role is to oversee the, the worship and creative arts ministry of, of our church, or what we call Wacom. And that's why Bob can say that if you have any issues with what he does, to, to come and see me, because then it's my job to you know, sort him out. Um, <laughs> but I think it would only be fair to say, if you have problems with things that I do, you could go see Bob as well, and let's, let, let's make it a mutual arrangement, perhaps. Um, but one of the things that then happens in having this role of overseeing this ministry is that whenever there's then a sermon on the topic of worship, it's always fall to me. <clears throat> and that is indeed the case today as we consider worship as one of the purposes of the church. We're in this series looking at the church. We've looked at the people of the church, the promise of the church, you know, the potential of the church, picking up a theme there. We're now on the purpose of the church uh, and we're having three weeks on the purpose. And the first is this one of worship. And Tim Keller describes worship as an act that has two parts. Firstly, you know, seeing what God is worth and then giving him what he's worth. And that's a neat and handy definition of worship that makes it quite, quite tangible for us. In the first part, we see what, what God is worth. We experience a revelation of God and we behold him before us, whether that's you know, through the reading and the preaching of his word, whether that's through an experience that we have, whether it's through grasping the gospel and being impacted afresh by our sinfulness and God's grace and whatever it is, it's through a move of the Spirit, by whatever means it happens, the specific tangible means, we behold God in a new, deeper, fresh, clearer, bigger, bigger way. And this often might just simply be a case of God bursts out of the box that we've put him in as we domesticate him and make him more in our image than the other way around. But however it happens, we see God and we see what he's worth. And that then leads to the second part or, or the or second movement of worship, that having seen his worth, we then give to him what he's worthy of. We respond to the revelation that we've had. And that, that response will take all sorts of forms. It might be spontaneous and musical praise. It might be that we choose to act in obedience in this particular matter. It might be confession and, and repentance of sin, prayer, faith, adoration, etc. Whatever it is, we respond and we give to God what we've seen that he's worth. And so when we look at the scriptures, we see these two movements of worship all the time. When, when Moses is hiding in a cleft of rock and God walks before him, passes by and proclaims his name, and by doing so reveals his identity and character and to the point where then Moses saw his, the back of his glory. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and he worshipped. When Isaiah goes to the temple and God appears before him, he recognises and he confesses his sinfulness in the presence of the Lord Almighty. When Job lost everything, his oxen and his donkey, his camels, his children, he recognised the powerful sovereignty of God and he fell to the ground in worship. When Peter, despite having fished all night and not caught anything, when he listens to Jesus to lower the nets one more time and he comes up with such a large number of fish that their nets begin to break, his response is that he fell at Jesus' knees in adoration and confession. 
When Mary, in her grief, recognized the voice of the risen Jesus, she clasped his feet and bowed low in worship of him. When the angels, who number thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, when they behold the lamb who was slain, standing at the center of the throne in heaven, they sing his praise and they fall face down and they worship. In each of these cases, you know, just skimming through the scriptures, they see God and they see his worth. And then they respond by giving to him what he's worth. And that, that is worship. And it is the purpose of the church, of us, this gathering together of Christians that meet in a location at a time, this, this gathering is the purpose of the church to then worship God together. In his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul finishes off a prayer for them by saying, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To give God glory is to see him and to respond to him appropriately. It is to worship him. And so to God be worship in the church forever and ever. And it makes sense that this would be the case, doesn't it? I mean, the church is, is the gathered people of God, saved by him, brought into his family by the death and resurrection of his son. And we now live empowered by his spirit as we're transformed increasingly into his likeness. And so it would make sense that we, of all people, would worship God together. In Philippians 2, Paul recounts what's thought to be an early Christian song. And it ends with every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth bowing before Jesus. And every tongue then acknowledging Jesus as Lord. And so the church, which is his body, we get to do this already. We don't have to wait to the end of time. We don't have to kind of be forced to our knees at that time as we, as we behold him in all his glory. We get to already see his worth, behold that, and give to him what he's worth in our worship. And so that's, that's worship in a nutshell. I could sit down now and say, that's just what we've got to do. But worship gets, for all its simplicity, it also gets quite complicated. We... Maybe that's human nature that we overly complicate. Oh, I'm not sure. But one of the reasons for it, though, is that there's these different biblical and practical tensions that, that come to bear on the topic. For instance, there's, there's a difference between you know, these kind of spontaneous, in-the-moment responses to God versus planned, written, structured worship. And depending on the tradition you've grown up in, depending on your personality or depending on, on other factors, you can lean one way or, or the other and think, you know, that's true worship and, and discount that one or the other way around. And the reality is, though, both have their place and their value. And so we need to hold on to both and to hold them in tension. Another tension that we'll consider a bit more is thinking of worship as an event. You know, we, we come to a church service where we sing and pray and listen to the word. This is a, a worship service. So we think of worship as, a, as an event. Or is it something that happens every day and is it expressed in how we live in all the ordinary moments of life? Again, these sit in tension with each other. And, and depending on 
what, you know, what side of this we're, we're thinking about. It can confuse our, our thinking and our talking and our living of what it is that we're talking about when we're talking about worship. Because worship is both. Worship, you know, this idea of seeing and knowing what God is worth and giving that to him, it is both an event and something that happens every day in our life. It is, it is an event. There are times that we specifically set aside for worship. Our, our Sunday gatherings being uh, one um, specifically of them. But there's other times too that we set aside you know, this time as an event of worship. It might, be, um, it might be a prayer meeting. It might be the time that you have every morning with a cup of tea in your hand and your Bible open on, on your lap. Maybe it's, it's the five minutes you have in the shower belting out you know, your favorite songs of praise. It could be that, that moment where you're in a conversation with a, with a Christian friend and there's this pause and you're aware that in that pause God is present and is inhabiting that moment and he's in this conversation with you and you stay, you stay silent and you extend that pause in response to that. Worship is an event that takes place at specific kind of times. But worship is also something that happens every day. This is the, the Romans 12, one idea of, of offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which then Paul says is your proper, uh, your true and proper worship. This is Jesus saying that our love for him will result in obedience to him. And our obedience to him is an expression of our love for him. This is setting the orientation of our hearts and our minds on, on Jesus and not on earthly things. If we recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the living out of our lives in faith, submission, obedience, and love, you know, in response to who he is and, and he's calling us and what he's done for us, that's, that's our worship. And so worship is both an event and every day. And in fact, each feeds into and contributes to the other. It's really hard, you may have experienced this, it's really hard to come to church and sing songs of praise to God with any sense of integrity and genuine worship. It's really hard to do that when you've spent the week you know, being short-tempered and irritable with the family, when you've been dishonest in your workplace, when you're foul-mouthed on the sports field, when you're drunk in your evenings, when, when, you, when you just live generally ignoring God until 10 a.m. Sunday morning, it's really hard to then come into this gathered worship. How we live through the week in the everyday contributes to how we worship God on a Sunday in the event. But likewise, the other way is also true. How we worship on Sunday in our gathering here should shape how we live through the week. If we come together as God's people, and if we have an encounter with him, if we hear his word preached and hear its claims on our lives, if we sing these songs that exalt Jesus and we're struck afresh by the gospel, if we're humbled through prayer of confession or of need and we express our reliance to God as we're gathered, then this should flow out from here, out the doors and into our everyday life. We don't just walk out the church doors and suddenly stop being a Christian. Or we shouldn't, anyway. I don't know, I can't say that for all of you. But what we've experienced in a worship event should flow into and shape our everyday living out of worship to God.
another tension in, um, you know, and, and that this one kind of flows into this, another tension that can confuse and complicate the issue of worship is, is worship corporate, you know, what we're doing here, where a bunch of us are gathered together, or is it just an individual thing? And again, the answer for us is that it's, it's both, but we need to be clear kind of what side of that tension we're, we're talking about. See, as Christians, we individually worship God. As individuals, each with our own relationship with him, we recognize his worth and we respond to him by giving him what he's worth in both the everyday and in the event. And we come together as a group of individuals who collectively make up the church and we then worship God corporately together as well. And as, as this aspect, this aspect of, of corporate gathered worship uh, that I want to spend the rest of our time this morning considering. After all, it's, it's to God be glory in the church, in the corporate gathering of his people. So let's look at this a bit more closely. And the first thing, the first thing I want to say is that corporate worship, what happens here when we're together with other Christians, corporate worship is of necessity different to individual worship. And there's a few ways in which that takes shape. But the first one is that you honestly have less freedom in corporate worship. So what do I mean by this? Well, let's consider the experience of worshipping God through, through singing, through music. When you sing along in your car by yourself to a playlist of favourite worship songs that you've created, you have complete freedom to do what you want. You can sing loud, you can stop and listen, you can sing a song again, you can fast forward to the good bit of the song, and you can skip the one that you decide, oh, that's so, that was last week's vibe, I mean, I'm somewhere different now. Like, you, you, can, you can do all that. You, you've picked all these songs that you like from artists that you like in styles that, that you like. Probably the only restraint on you as you worship God singing along to your playlist in the car is that you still need to keep your hands on the wheels and your eyes on the road. That's, that's about the only restraint you have. Otherwise, you have complete freedom to do as you want. But when you come to church, well, you have to sing only the songs that the worship leader has picked. And to be honest, you don't like them all. Not just when it's Bob leading, but also when it's Matt or Beck or Ellen or whoever else. Maybe they're done too slow or too fast. Maybe you don't know that one, and this one, oh man, can't they just retire that one? It's been done to death. Maybe when you worship by yourself, you like to move, you know, you swing your arms and you stand at your feet and you walk around the kitchen knowing that you're not affecting anyone. But when you come to church, you need to stay pretty much in the one spot. You need to be mindful of the person next to you or behind you as you, as you raise your arms or, or swing around. Like, you, you, you know, you need to be conscious of that. In other words, in a corporate gathering of worship, there is less individual freedom. And we need to acknowledge that and, and recognize that. Paul addresses this with the Corinthian church. With, with them, you know, they were, you know, at their community meals, some were rushing ahead and eating first, leaving others to go hungry or just get you know, the scraps. They were all trying to outdo each other with their tongues speaking, while in the lack of, every, lack of interpretation, everyone else just sat there bewildered, not knowing what was going on. 
Others were disrupting the service by asking questions of their neighbours and having you know, conversations here or, or, or even kind of heckling the, the speaker to get clarity and, and, having, uh, and all of which just distracted from what, what was going on. And so Paul says to them in conclusion, everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. Bringing order and structure and even routine can cramp an individual style. I'd be interested to ask. <laughs> I'm wondering if I should. I'd be interested to ask, who could tell you, who could tell me our order of service here? How many songs do we start with? Sorry, I just... And then what happens? Announcements, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 yeah, so all that. Um, and then what happens? Another song, and then? Yeah, more blah, blah, blah. And then, thanks, Dave. <laughs> Love the encouragement. And then what happens? Another song. There we go. There's an order and a routine and a structure there. And you might go, man, I'm so done with this. I'd love to sing three songs in a block. I'd love to just do one. I'd love to, you know, like mix it up, whatever. But when we come together, our worship is of God, not of just what we want to do. And so in a corporate setting, we submit our own desires to the leadership and to the order uh, of others. And we do this because uh, corporate worship has relationship with others at its core. This is not just... um, It's not just a bunch of individuals then doing their own thing, but just all in the one space. There's a relational aspect to it. Our love for God spills over to and is expressed to our love for others. And so gathered worship is not just about us as an individual. It's about us in relationship with one another. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about the nature of our relationships with other people and the the heart attitudes that we express towards them. And then he says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, if, you're, if you have come to a worship event, if you, if you like, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. In, in other words, worship in the church is not just about me and Jesus. It's about me and my neighbor and Jesus and about having the right and appropriate relationship of love between all of them. And so if there's a problem in my relationship with other people, and especially with also, especially if it's with other people who are here present with me, then that needs to get sorted out as a priority in my worship. And so Paul writes to the Colossian Christians, and we read this earlier, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. We're members of one body. We are family with one another in relationships that are to be unified. And so therefore, we need to let Christ's peace rule between us. And where there is disharmony in relationships, we need to make that right. And so given all this, I mean, we could could maybe think, you know what? Maybe I'll skip church. I'll just worship God at home by myself. That way, I can do it the way that I want. I can do it when I want. I can do it where I want. I can do it the way that that works for me. And I can avoid the complexities of 
other people, man. Like, uh, you know, I, I can just avoid all that and just, uh, you know, not have that become a problem or a challenge for me. I can just avoid relationships with other people entirely. So maybe that seems like a valid option at this point. But that then misses a third aspect of corporate worship, which is that it's not just for our own benefit, but it's actually for the good of others. I've already mentioned how Paul had to bring some order to the Corinthian church because they were all just doing their own individual thing. And one of the things that he particularly had to address was their approach to speaking in tongues. He makes this extended argument that, that unless there's someone who can interpret what's being said, that the tongue speaker, they're only edifying themselves. Though tongues might be you know, a pretty flashy gift, it might look pretty spectacular, it might be a sign of the spirit and all those sorts of things, he would much rather that someone speak in an intelligible tongue a word of prophecy, that, and he preferred that because all can benefit from it. And so he says, you know, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. In the context of corporate worship, what happens needs to be for the good of others, not just for yourself. And so immediately after this, Paul says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, be childlike, but in your thinking, be adults. And so the issue in our particular church may not be tongues. In fact, I can definitively tell you that's not our issue. But his point is still valid, that it's childish to only think of yourself. I mean, you've seen, you've seen this in kids, right? They, they have a friend around for a play date, but when it comes to getting a drink or a snack, they, they get themselves one, while the guest just kind of looks on awkwardly and they need to be prompted, are you going to offer your friend this? And so Paul says that this is just as true and just as childish in the context of our gathering in the church. Because it's not just, it's not just you, it's us. There are other people present who need you, who, who, sorry, who need not only to be considered, but who need to be actively cared for and ministered to in the corporate expression of worship. And so to the Colossians, as we read before, and Paul says something very similar to the Ephesians, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. This is not just, you know, as I say stuff to all of you, this is the one another of corporate life together. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And it's our singing of psalms, hymns and spiritual songs that teach and admonish one another. The corporate gathering of worship is not just about me being taught and me being encouraged and me singing my songs to Jesus. All those things are there, yes. But then I look beyond myself to those around me. And coming alongside my brothers and sisters, I teach and encourage and I sing to them and they to me. And for me and to me and with me. 
And so this is why in the book of Hebrews we're told to not give up meeting together because as we come together as the church, we spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And all of this then shapes how we gather. If we come to church to see God and to give him what he's worth and to do so with others. And this then means that we get to church on time. And I think we missed it this morning, but, but we strive to then start on time because that's fitting and orderly and it's conscious of others, not just ourselves. It means that we join in the singing, even when we don't like the song, even when we don't like the style or the speed, because the words of that song direct our attentions and our affections towards God. It means we engage in the social time, uh, as awkward as we may find it, because we're here together as a family and expressing that relationship with one another is as much a part of our worship as anything else. It means that we listen and submit to the preaching to grow in our knowledge of God and the life he calls us to, that then we can share that with others for their growth and encouragement. It means we sing, you know, not, not quietly and under our breath, worried, that other people might hear us. But we sing with gusto to make sure that they hear us because they need to hear the message of the gospel. They need to hear the praise of God that is coming out in our songs. And then we do all of that together in our gatherings as we worship God at the event of our Sunday service. And then we are sent out to continue our worship individually in our everyday life. Whatever you do, Paul concludes. Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So church, let's, let's worship together. Because, and, and to him then, to our great and glorious God, to our wonderful Saviour Jesus, to the empowering spirit that he's given to us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray and then let's, let's sing. Guys, we consider this topic of worship. Um, one of the things that we have to say up front is that you are so easy to worship because you are such a good, great, beautiful, glorious God. When our life is good, we see that as your gift to us. When our life is challenging, we see your presence with us, leading and guiding us through that to a place that we wouldn't have naturally gone for ourselves, but you lead us there for our benefit and good. Either way, you are our sovereign, good God who loves us, who cares for us, who created us. And then even though we turned our back on you, you sent Jesus to live and to die in our place, to bear our sin, to be raised to life and to give us then his life that we could be restored to relationship with you. When we consider the, the gospel and, and that we can say this reality that despite of how we live, despite of our attitude, despite all of that, when we can say that it is well with my soul because of you and your grace and your love and your action and all you've done towards us, then we can't help but worship. When we behold you 
in those near, quiet, intimate moments. When we see you in the loud, gathered, boisterous, you know, the, the praises of your people. When we, when we behold you, we can't help but respond. And so we, we worship you. And we pray, God, that in your church, we pray that in this church and in Christ Jesus, all glory be to you for now and in eternity. Forever and ever we pray this. May we as your people worship you together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.